0: John. let's pray. Lord, from Genesis to Revelation, the song has just uh, 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 put into words for us that uh, it's all about Your great salvation. So we pray as we read the first uh, part of Revelation that You would make known Your great salvation to us, uh, that it might be known through us as well. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen. So, just over two weeks ago, um, Christie's sold a-, a painting by Leonardo da Vinci for $450 million. Most expensive painting ever sold. It's called Salvatore Mundi and uh, depicts Jesus, hand raised, about to give a blessing. Salvatore Mundi. He's the saviour of the world says Leonardo. It was painted in the uh, 1500s, and um, it was about the same time as the other side of the Alps. Um, A uh, certain uh, German monk was uh, rediscovering in the Bible wonderful truths about the saviour of the world, about a message of freedom, that would then launch the Reformation in Germany and other, with others uh, throughout Europe. A message which, just like the painting, focused on Jesus as the saviour of the world. And so that's our theme today. If you noticed on the uh, uh, front of the service sheet, Solus Christus, Christ alone. And we're going to see why. Uh, why would Christians have that emphasis? Why so much on Jesus? as the saviour of the world. And the great news is it's not going to cost you $450 million. It's actually a gift to know this saviour that we just have to ask and receive from him. So let's look down to this revelation that Jesus gave to the Apostle John because in it I think we'll see two things. We'll see that only Jesus frees us from our sins by his blood. We'll see that in verse 5. And we also should see in verse 7 that only Jesus can save us when he comes to judge the world. We'll uh, see that as an application of verse 7. So let's look at verse 5. Only Jesus frees us from our sins by his blood. If you look at how he's described there in verse 5, he's the one who loves us. And he's the one who died for us. That's the language of blood. It's lifeblood. Uh, because um, life that we live each day is a gift, not a right. That's uh, how Genesis chapters 1 and 2 explain things to the human race that actually we're created by a God who gives us life, this precious gift that we enjoy. That actually your next breath, my next breath, it's not a, it's not a right, it's a gift. From that same God. That, uh, the God who's spoken of in verse 8 as the Alpha and the Omega, the, the beginning and the end, he's the one who made us. And so, life being a gift, when we go against that God, when we sin, our lives are forfeit, according to Genesis. That actually we deserve to die and spiritually we do. We cut ourselves off from God when we choose sin, whenever we choose sin. But Genesis continues that that's never what God wanted for you and for me and for the human race. He loves us. And so the Old Testament story is of what God does when we do go away from him and he gave his, his ancient people a system of sacrifices wherever they sinned they could make a sacrifice a sheep or a goat would die in their place and the animal's blood was shed instead of their life blood but that was never a fair swap was it the animal really didn't have very much choice in it poor um, poor little sheepy it was only ever a signpost. It was a signpost to the fact that there needed to be a genuine swap. A signpost pointing forward to Jesus, and when he entered the world, as our um, the uh, invites we're using this year um, depicts, uh, they depict uh, Jesus and Mary and Joseph um, in a in an urban setting, in a street scene, in a bus shelter. And it's exactly a a depiction of what God actually did. He came amongst us. He became ordinary. He became in humility, Jesus, as one of us, so that He could live that pure life that you don't live and I don't live. And He could be the Lamb who willingly swapped with us, so that He shed His blood as a sacrifice to pay for you and to pay for me. Only Jesus has done that. And that's why there's so much emphasis on him. God God doesn't become human every now and again. He's done it once in human history. And he only needed to do it once. Because that sacrifice, that death that Jesus died, frees us from our sins by his blood. That's who Jesus is. That's what Jesus has done. Now, the claim that Jesus is the only saviour is uh, controversial in modern 21st century pluralist Britain. Um, and we'll come back to that. But at the time of the Reformation, 500 years ago, 16th century, the medieval church, they all accepted that Jesus was the only way to God. And that wasn't why the reformers taught that, uh, that Jesus, uh, they talked about Christ alone. Uh, the question in their day was okay yeah, yeah okay jesus gives us access to god but how do you get access to jesus okay jesus has sort of done something to save us but but how do you receive that salvation how does what he's done apply to me to you to your family how is it available and the roman catholic church claimed pretty much exclusive rights to being Uh, able to give people God's grace. They claim to be really the gatekeepers to the grace of God and to Jesus. So to start the Christian life, well, you needed to be baptised by a Roman Catholic priest. Once you've begun the Christian life, if you messed up at all, which we all do, don't we? um, To be forgiven, well, you have to go back to a Roman Catholic church and and say your confession. And I guess it's a little bit like visiting the GP. Um, You go away with a prescription or penance. So many so hail Marys, some Our Fathers, or maybe something to do as your penance. And then, if you successfully completed that program of treatment, then you'd come back and get your absolution. Do you see? The institution of the medieval church claimed that they were the gatekeepers to the grace of God, to the treasury of God's grace. They also offered a mediation because you know, uh, um, if Jesus really is the glorious, majestic one. You to approach him? Who am I to approach him as a sinner? And maybe they point to a glorious stained glass window like the one above my head, uh, picturing Jesus in all his uh, uh, majesty. And they said, "Well, who use your approach?" I tell you what, we'll offer mediation. Uh, maybe go through one of the saints, um, go through Mary, go through uh, someone else, or or why don't why don't, uh, why don't you get one of the priests to mediate for you, say prayers for you, put in a good word. And of course, if you're going to get serious about your faith, well, you you uh, you want to build up merit with God, don't you? It already well receiving his grace, but when you're on back on track, you need to start paying your own way and doing good things to build up merit. A bit like um, if you, I don't know if this has ever happened to people, but if you can't pay your electricity bill, uh, you might say to the power company, I can't pay! Could you give me a, a grace period during which you won't be billed? And uh, I, I think... Uh, some people, uh, that's that, that sort, of, that sort of the system that was set up, that you, know, you, you get a grace period and then you get yourself sorted and then you start to pay again. Uh, and that's a little bit like the understanding of merit in the Roman Catholic Church, that of course it's all through Christ. Of course he gets you back into that state of grace, but then you've got to kind of keep up the payments after that. Well, look down again, will you, to Revelation 1. It's wonderful. See what Christ achieves for his people in verse 6. He describes that he makes us a kingdom and priests. He's the king, verse 5, the ruler of the kings of the earth. His people are the kingdom. They belong to him. We belong to him as his people. We're what he's doing in the world. That's a remarkable thing. And... We're priests, verse 6. All of us uh, priests in the Old Testament. They're the people who have access to God. They are privileged to be able to enter the presence of God. Well, so now everyone who puts their faith in Jesus. That's what the New Testament is teaching. We don't need another priest to mediate for us. We're the priests. You are. I am. Because of our great high priest. He's the one who does the bridging between earth and heaven, the one who came to us, who came to us as one of us in humility. The Apostle Paul puts it in 1 Timothy, there is one mediator between God and us, the man Christ Jesus. Do you see that? It doesn't cost you $450 million. Put your faith in Jesus. And he mediates, he gives access. Only Jesus frees us from our sins by his blood. And brings us into his kingdom to to know that favour of God's approval, of God's family. And to know that purpose as well, to serve his God and Father. Well, secondly, only Jesus can save us when he comes to judge the world. Verse 7 pictures that day uh, when it comes to the future. um, Actually, there's a couple of references, aren't there, to the God in verse 4, verse 8, who is the one who was, who is, who is to come. And then there's a focus in verse 7 on the coming, the coming of Jesus with clouds, when every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the peoples on earth will mourn. Because of him, is that a surprise to find that description? Why the tears? Why the mourning? And it's because he comes as to judge, as well as to save. But actually, the fact that God that God comes to judge that Jesus will come as the judge at the end of everyone is good news. If we think about our world, then we see horrible things on the news. We we see horrible things just down the road. And our hearts cry for justice. We, we want there to be accountability. That we want the people with, with money, the people with political power, the people in the media, the people in the shadows. We want justice. We want accountability. And there will be accountability from the God who sees and the God who is just and the God who will judge. There will be justice for Grenfell. Full and final justice on the final day. Just as we pray that there will be justice in the coming days. There will be justice for every wrong when Jesus comes to judge. And look again at verse 7. It's very sobering. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. Do you see that? Meaning, particularly the... um, the people who will be particularly terrified when Jesus appears at the end are the Roman and Jewish leaders who conspired to crucify him. And we must add, everyone since then, whether it's an atheist, communist, leader of another religion, that has spoken against Jesus and denounced him and opposed him. It will be terrifying for them To be face to face with him in all his glory and majesty when he comes to judge and realize that's the one I was speaking against, that's the one I opposed. Now, the Roman centurion who crucified Jesus, just within hours of actually seeing the way he died, had a complete change there's always the possibility of change for people, even if they've done horrible things against Jesus. But notice that there will be some who are particularly terrified, but actually they won't be alone. There will be many, many who are deeply wailing, to use that phrase from our first hymn. Many others from all the people of the earth, according to verse 7, who just ignored him. You know, they, they were just too busy. They were too busy shopping. And too busy trying to make money and too busy trying to, you know, find the best school for their kids and you know, planning the next holiday and, and, and keeping up with the the TV and just keeping up with life and they were too busy and so they ignored him from all the nations. They will mourn because of him because when they see him in his beauty and majesty and realise Gosh, he came to save me. He loves me. Oh, no. I've missed it. It's so sobering. But for those who are waiting for him to come, uh, the Apostle Paul talks about this day. He, he talks about it as those who, are, those who love his appearing. He talks about a mindset there that actually we're looking forward all the way to that day as we live an ordinary Tuesday. We're living Tuesday, loving his appearing and thinking, Jesus is coming, you know. Jesus is coming. And for all who are doing that, who are his kingdom and priests, serving his God and Father in their lives, for those people, it will be a day of great joy when we at last see him face to face, the one who died for us, our Saviour. You see, post Grenfell, we rightly celebrate the way that the different faith groups in this community worked alongside each other to do whatever they could to help, and they still are. That's brilliant. But there is a false narrative doing the rounds that comes from our culture, which doesn't come from any of the communities themselves. It comes from an unbelieving culture that sees that common action and says, ah, yeah, that's what we said all along, you're all the same. only Jesus can save when he comes to judge the world. He's the one. He's the judge. He's the saviour. And if we think, oh, well, it's all real well for John to say this, you know, 2,000 years ago. What does he know about modern Britain? Well, not a lot is the short answer to that, but he does know a lot about the Roman world that he lived in, which had many gods, Many different opinions, many ideas about God and about spirituality, which wasn't vastly different from today. And you see, what John discovered is that the real God wrote himself into history. So we don't need to guess anymore. And when they crucified him, verse 5, at the start of it, He's the firstborn from the dead. He rose again. He now reigns with God in glory. God has not left us guessing so that we might, I don't know, end up worshipping Thor or something, as people used to do quite a long time ago now. Great Marvel action hero, not so good if that's the centre of your worship and your life. God's not left us guessing. We... We don't. We don't have to think. Oh, is there anything to believe? Is it real? We know it's real because he's come, he's lived, he's died, he's risen, and we know it's real. As the apostle Peter puts it in the early church, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to us by which we must be saved. Uh, Doctor Holly Ordway was an English professor in the United States, an atheist. She wrote a book to tell her story called Not God's Type to describe her own journey. She says, I didn't have faith, I didn't want faith, but I felt compelled to have a good reason why not. So she began to look into the evidence to read the Gospels and as she did that, in her words, it began to seem like the best explanation for all these events being recounted in this way was that they really happened. And having come to that conclusion, I knew that there were implications in my life. I had to ask myself, what does this mean for me? What do I do now? Isn't that great? And um, she, having become a Christian, um, now works training other people to explain the Christian faith because of her own very um, intense kind of journey and experience that she wants to uh, use to help others. How can atheists... Be saved when Jesus comes to judge the world? Through Christ alone. How can Muslims be saved when Christ comes to judge the world? Through Christ alone. How can Sikhs be saved when Christ comes to judge the world? Through Christ alone. Though, of course, they need to come to see that He's much more than they currently believe Him to be. How can you and I? Be saved when Christ comes to judge the world. Through Christ alone. Not Christ plus a bit of our effort. Not Christ plus the church. Christ alone, because Christ is sufficient. He loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. That's why when we prepare for the communion service, some of the words I read out, um, talk about his once for all offering of himself, making a full perfect and sufficient sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. It's wordy, but it's intense theology. It's intensely beautiful truth. Now, of course, church should be helpful. We want to encourage other, we want to grow in our faith. It's what church is about. But it's Christ who saves us, not church. Of course, the Christian life involves effort. We are those who are called and, and, and get the privilege of serving God in the world. Gosh, that's going to take effort. It's, it's What a privilege, though, to serve God like Jesus did But it's Christ who saves us, not our service. It's Christ alone. Now, as we wrap up for this week, do do you start to see how all these alones go together? We've been doing this little mini series. Salvation is found in Christ alone. He's the only savior. It's by grace alone. It costs him his bloodshed, but it's given to us by a generous God who loves us greatly. It's by grace alone. And how do we receive it? Through faith alone. It's not something we have to work for and achieve in some way. It's something we receive as we put our trust in him. And all of that is to the glory of God alone, which is how we'll finish up next week.